Perfect love casts out fear. And we worship him because he loves us with a perfect love. And we're glad that you're here today to worship with us at First Baptist Clinton. Uh, just a delight to be here. I, I think the daylight saving time must have impacted this crowd. Um, there's, we, are, we are fewer in number and not quite as energetic as we normally are. But we're glad you're here. If you're a guest of our congregation this morning, thank you for joining with us this, today. Uh, we would like to have a record of your being our guest, and so just fill out the con connection card. Uh, let me remind you, we are a praying people, so the backside of it is a prayer request form. And so at the end of worship, we, we worship through giving, and the ushers will be at the door. So just place the slip in the offering plate as you go out, and we'll be happy to receive uh, the information. We are here to worship God. We need not fear because he is our mighty fortress. Let's stand together and sing it. Jesus, it is He, the Lord 
just thank you for another day. Thank you that we're able to be at church. Lord, I just pray that uh, you have us prepared to hear the word today and to take it out of here and do something with it, Lord. Lord, I just pray for uh, you know people that have had loss, have lost family members, that you can comfort them. Lord, just uh, help us to, uh, you know, to take what we know out into our community and, and not just keep it to ourselves, but to spread this word that only you can save. And Lord, I just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Luke 13. Read aloud with me, please. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke 13, 31 through 35. 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, the next song we're going to sing is called He Will Hold Me Fast. It's one that we've sung before, but I want to unpack just a little bit the phrase, He Will Hold Me Fast. We don't uh, often say that the word fast in terms of um, tight, um, close. He will hold us fast. If you think about, um, you all have surely seen a movie where um, someone is about to fall off of a cliff and they're just hanging on, their grip is loosening, and a hand reaches down and grabs their hand. You can picture that in your mind. We often don't have a strong grip and it feels like sometimes we are losing and God reaches down with a firm, solid grip and he will not let us go. That's what this song means. He will hold me fast. We're going to sing this chorus a couple of times. sung this before, I'd like for you to hear some Ukrainians singing this song in their home. This was recorded in December before uh, the invasion, but just listen to this little brief uh, recording. He will hold me fast. He will. 
stand together, read our psalm reading. This is a continuation of, if you can't hear the message that God has you, listen to the psalmist as he uh, proclaims. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, 
Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27. Amen. You may be seated. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my heart you have taught me to say.
the grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire. I can see the light. 
stands between us. Nothing stands between the big another in the fire. Choruses of that song, I don't know if you noticed the beginning of it, the chorus is past tense. And the last choruses, they are future. We can have faith because he has been faithful in the past. Let's stand together, sing God is for us. If our God is for us 
Amen. Let me uh, invite you to come tonight at 5 o'clock and begin preparing for, for Resurrection Sunday with the Easter Choir, right? So come and get in on, on the preparations now for our Resurrection Sunday celebration. I'll also be leading a Bible study uh, at 5 o'clock. We're studying the book of Psalms. So come, and, and we will walk through Psalm 84. So I'd look forward to spending that time with you. And then I also remind you that this evening, we will have our regular business meeting. And the major agenda on the item, item on the agenda is the, the election of our pastor search committee. So we've been praying for uh, weeks about this, and we're now to the point of, of decision. So I encourage you to keep praying and come and participate in, um, in, in the evening event. We will we'll have the, the meeting and then the eating. So the fellowship meal will follow the business meeting. Come and join us. We often talk about seeing where God is at work and then joining Him. So let me just encourage you to see where God is at work. And he is at work on Tuesday nights through Celebrate Recovery. So let me encourage you just to come. Tuesday evening, Becky will be sharing her testimony. You heard just a, a, a brief part of it on our Celebrate Recovery Sunday. And so if you want to hear Becky's whole story, come Tuesday night for the, uh, for the uh, Celebrate Recovery uh, time. And then I would also just remind you, uh, next Sunday we will have a Gideon guest and so I'll always look forward to uh, listening to and sharing time with our, with our Gideons. And I mentioned it today just to remind you, we will be making an Acts 1-8 uh, offering to our local, for our local Gideons. Um, but if you're not actively participating in our Acts 1-8 giving, uh, you might want to prepare ahead of time uh, to make an offering next Sunday for the, for the, for the Gideons. So uh, uh, just giving you an advance notice of uh, a bit of, of what is, is coming. Um, what you are is the foundation of how you must behave. We'll make sure you got that. What you are is the foundation of how you must behave. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So that's who you are. And our behavior must be a reflection of his work in us. The transforming power of the gospel occurs in our lives by the authority of Jesus and through the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. It is against this backdrop that we'll look at two issues in the church at Corinth which compel us to consider others 
So the, the two passages are chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and chapter 8, 1 through 13. I'm, I'm grouping these together because they are somewhat related, but mostly because when, you, when we look at them, and at first glance, we think, well, that doesn't I mean lawsuits in the church. That doesn't, that doesn't fit to us. I don't know of any of you who are suing others. If you are, I have, I have words for you today. <laughs> and, and the other subject is eat, eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And I don't know that that's a problem in our community. I haven't seen idols. Well, there are lots of idols, but I haven't seen people sacrificing meat to them, right? So I link these together because at first glance, we'd think, well, you know, that doesn't really match to us. But a closer look will reveal there's some words here for us, some words of wisdom. And so we take a look at these lawsuits The lawsuits were happening between church members. And when lawsuits happen between church members, it compromises the witness of the church in the community. And what we have seen from Paul is in the very first part of this, of the letter, he reminds us to not do anything internally which which disrupts the unity of the body. And then he turns his attention to the community and he says, do not do anything in the community and in the life of the church that, that compromises the witness of the church and therefore the gospel in the community. So here they are, the setting, uh, and I'm not going to take time to read it because you have it in front of you. Um, But the setting is that they are engaging in these lawsuits. And it it does not seem to be an issue among us, but remember what you are is the foundation of how you must behave. The lawsuits are are, uh, illogical. Paul lays this out for us. Christians, Christians, he says, will be involved in the end-time judgment of the world. We, are, we, we will be given responsibility for judging the world, for judging angels, he says in, in verse 3. And so surely, if this is the case, you should be able to settle matters and issues among yourselves. And, and you should not be rushing to the pagan courts to settle disputes between people who, who share a common Lord Jesus Christ. So he is he's saying it's just not logical. And so if you're doing this, Paul says it pretty plainly in, in verse 5, you should be ashamed of your behavior. So that's the word we have for you if you are in, engaging in this. This Paul's word. You should be ashamed of your behavior. The lawsuits were not only illogical, they were inconsistent with who they were in Christ. Taking fellow church members to court is inconsistent with, the, with our forgiven character. When you do this, Paul describes it this way, they cheat and do wrong to each other. Spiritually, they are completely dead. So when you engage in this kind of 
behavior which is illogical and inconsistent with who we are as followers of Christ, then Paul says you are completely defeated. So here's a church that on the one hand, they are proclaiming how spiritual they are, but their behaviors reflect they are, they are completely defeated spiritually because they're not behaving according to their foundation of who they are in Christ. So before you go to court with another um, church member, consider your witness and the witness of the church in the community. You might try something like this. Go talk to them. Sit down one-on-one -on -one to resolve the issue. Now, this is good teaching whether you're on the edge of a lawsuit or not. When you have differences with people, the way to saw, resolve the difference is sitting down with them, having a conversation one-on-one, -on -one, and especially if it's a church matter and you cannot resolve it, then try this. Get one or two fellow believers out of the body and you go and you sit down with them and you talk with them and you seek with the help of fellow believers to resolve the conflict. And, you know, it's rather kind of a novel idea. Jesus came up with stuff like that, you know. But he says then, if, if you can't work it out this way, then just call a church meeting and listen, and, and you work it out within the body of believers. So, if you are in conflict with someone, you may not be headed to the courts with lawsuits, but Paul's speaking to you today. If you're in conflict with a church member, he's saying, consider, consider the witness of the church and your own testimony and work it out. Work it out within the body of Christ. Because if you can't work it out in the body of Christ, then you are spiritually defeated. And we don't want you to be defeated. We want you to be victorious in Christ. The second passage is in chapter 8. Chapter 8, Paul, he turns his attention to the concept of freedom. But the problem is, the problem is that the freedom they were experiencing had wrapped around it the cloak of entitlement. And when entitlement creeps in to the church, it compromises the witness of the, of the church in the community. And so the context of Paul's uh, work was this food sacrificed to idols. Just be aware, in Paul's culture, almost all the meat in the marketplace had been sacrificed to, a, to some idol because they would, they would sacrifice a part of it. They would offer it as a sacrifice. Part of it would be used in their pagan ceremony, and the other part would be sold in the marketplace. That's how they, made their, that's how they got their money. So almost all the meat was, was tainted by 
uh, by uh, its touch with idolatry. Um, th this is not the case uh, now. You know, I, but remember, what you are is the foundation of how you must behave. Paul clearly teaches the priority of love over knowledge, which applies to every generation. He says in verses 1 and uh, 1, we all possess knowledge, the overreach of which is pride. So the problem with the folks at Corinth was not that they lacked knowledge. They had lots of knowledge, and they were very proud of the fact they had lots of knowledge. But when knowledge overreaches, it is its pride. And on the other hand, he reminds us that it is love that builds up. And it is love that is the relationship test. One can know a lot about God and not know God. So here's the test. Whoever loves God is known by God. Verse 3. The important thing is not what we know, but who knows us. And when we give our lives to Jesus and we love God, Paul says that, Paul says you when you love God, God knows you. So he, he speaks of the priority of love over knowledge. Paul clearly speaks and teaches the priority of God over idols. In verse 6, which is always relevant to us because idolatry comes in many forms. Now, Sometimes when we visit in, in other countries and we go into a home, you'll find a little shrine. And, and in the little shrine will be, um, will be their gods. And they will offer a sacrifice to their gods. And so in the morning when you come down the stairs and you walk through, and you, you'll see something's been offered. And there's a little sacrifice there uh, before the gods. Now, we say, well, we don't have these little altars in life. But what we do have is we do have things that take priority over the presence and power of God in our lives. We have things we value more than we value Him and our relationship with Him. Those, by the way, are idols. And Paul clearly teaches this pri a priority of God over idols. Paul says, we know an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we now live. See, the... Paul, Paul sets this 
situation in a different context. He says it's not about the meat that's offered to the idol. It's about our putting idols ahead of God. And Paul clearly teaches the priority of the weak of of the weak in conscience over the strong in knowledge. So he says in in uh, verses 10 and 11, if, for if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. See, this is where, where the issue starts to come to rest with us. See, what happens is sometimes we think we have a right to something. And usually when we use the word entitlement, you think about government and people who are, who are, um, are feel like they're entitled to something and in some government program. Or I see a television advertisement and it's all about what you're entitled to. You, know, you make this call because you're entitled to this. We do the same thing. We just don't call it entitlement. You know, I have a right. I have a freedom. And... And Paul says, when we elevate our rights without consideration of others, we've joined company with the Corinthians in chapter 8. Failure to defer comes with a strong warning. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So before, before you claim your rights to whatever it is, before you claim your entitlement, I have a right to this, listen to Paul. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And over the last couple of years, I hear a, have heard a lot about my right. It's my right. It's my right. That's entitlement creeping in to the church. And Paul says when we fail to defer, we sin not only against our brothers and sisters, but we sin against Christ. Remember, what you are is the foundation of how you must behave. Paul said, but you, are, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, considering others positions you and the church to have a positive testimony in the community. And, Paul, and that's what Paul was wanting 
out of the Corinthians and for them and for us. You see, God places us in, these, in, our, in this community so that we can have a positive witness and a positive influence and we can carry the gospel to people who are lost and dying without Christ. And if we, if we internally implode in such a way that it compromises our witness, then we've failed in our purpose. Consider, considering others positions us to have a positive testimony in the community. Considering others empowers you and the church to live up to who we are in Christ. You know, Jesus, Jesus said the most amazing stuff. The first will be last. That's a considering others, by the way. The least shall be the greatest. Considering others is a part of who we are in Christ. Considering others protects you and the church from being spiritually defeated. Paul's description of the church in, in chapter 8 was they were spiritually defeated because they were more interested in their rights than the than the outsider who was lost and on their way to hell. And they compromised their witness opportunity by defending their freedom and their rights. They were spiritually dead and defeated because of it. Considering others enables you and the church to be a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block. Every, every time we look, we're either helping people move forward or we're getting in their way. And so as believers, it's as believers, it's our task to help people move forward, bringing them closer to Jesus, not getting in their way and becoming a stumbling block to keep, that keeps them away from Jesus. What you are is the foundation of how you must behave. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Jesus teaches us And Paul teaches us with lawsuits and with a story about meat offered to idols to consider others because what you are is the foundation of how you must behave. So as believers, we have to live with an awareness our every move in the community is an influence either for the witness of the church or against the witness of the church. It's on us 
to make known Jesus in the community and to live with an awareness that, that our lives are influencing people either for or against Jesus. I'm sorry this is so heavy, but that's where we live because what you are is the foundation of how you must behave. Jesus didn't give us options. <laughs> he said, I'm in you. You be in me in the world. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, you know, I really have not talked with you this morning about this, but I do invite you to, to move from knowing something about Jesus to getting to know him personally by, the gra by grace through faith. You see, we come to Jesus when we receive the gift of life he came to give. Jesus, Jesus died upon the cross to save the lost. He died upon the cross to give us life. In John's gospel, Jesus said, I've come to give life and to give it to the full or give it abundantly. And when he gives us this life, we live in relationship with other people, and it is the best possible life you can live now, and a life that lasts forever. And we invite you to step into life this morning. So if you're not yet a believer, you can receive the gift of life by grace through faith today. Come and receive it. If you join us online, just go to our website, click the I Want Jesus in My Life button, so we can have, begin to have a conversation. Or you may text or call me. My number is 660-890-4150. But if you're in the room, I want to ask you just to step forward. Come forward. If you're looking, if you need to trust Jesus with your life and receive the gift of life from him, come, let's talk about it now. If you're